Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm your host, Kate Ebner. Thank you for joining me today for a very special Veterans Day episode of the show. Today we're going to talk about leadership in extreme circumstances and what looking at those situations can teach us about how to lead in the business context and perhaps how to lead in our everyday lives. I'm honored, truly honored to have General Thomas Kolditz with me on the show today. Tom is a retired Brigadier General in the U.S. Army. He's also uh, currently a professor at the Yale School of Management in New Haven, Connecticut. Previously, he led the Department of Behavioral Sciences and Leadership at West Point for 12 years. His career spans more than 25 years on four continents. Tom is also the managing member of Saxon Castle, a leadership development consultancy. He is the author of a terrific book on leadership called An Extremist Leadership, Leading as if Your Life Depended on It. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Kate. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm happy that you are, too, and I really um, appreciate the the hour that you're giving us to share some of the insights that you've written about and I know that you've researched and thought quite a lot about. You know, Tom, your book came out back in 2007, I think. Um, it's really a wonderful read, and, you know, for those of you who might be interested, um, the book is called In Extremist Leadership, Leading as If Your Life Depended on It, on the the jacket of the book, we have um, kind of paratroopers jumping out of a plane. It's all about um, leadership at these extreme moments. And I want to start off by just explaining what you mean by an extremist leadership. Well, I became fascinated with leaders who can continue to motivate and inspire trust in circumstances where people's lives were at risk. And I initially became interested in it because I thought it would have a lot of utility uh, for the military and police and firefighters. Uh, so I, I coined the term in extremist leadership. It's just a Latin term that means at the point of death. And I used that as a guiding principle for the research and, and writing that, that I would do subsequently. Uh, and it, it was uh, something that initially started as as a a niche piece uh, on leadership for the military, but since then it's broadened out considerably, uh, and mm. people are finding much more utility in it than just that. You know, that's it's really interesting to think about how 
you wrote it, you know, you wrote the, the book with that particular um, niche in mind and then it's, it's the context for how this can be used or how to, how to t- apply what you have extracted and put it to use in um, situations that may not be life or death is very interesting. I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about um, how, how the bridge, if you will, between the kind of leadership in, in, on the battlefield and the kind of leadership in the business context especially. Well, it was, it was first highlighted to me by a group of managing directors from a large investment bank in New York City, and I was talking to them about the research. They'd come to visit West Point, and I told them that I, I thought they'd be interested in it, but that it didn't really apply to them because it was about life and death, and you know their business is about making money. <clears throat> and I got about 15 minutes into the presentation, and one of these managing directors raised his hand, and he said, you know, you you don't really understand, you know, what our business is like. He said, you've never looked into the eyes of someone who just lost our firm $500 million, and you know that they're never going to work in finance again. They're going to lose their home. They may lose uh, their wife. Uh, Their whole life is going to change. And he said, and I've had friends who have committed suicide over business deals gone bad. So. Trust me, it's, it is often like life and death. And then when I really examined what it was that I was studying and talking about, I realized that I was taking a psychological approach. And when you interpret things based on the psychology of the events, uh, you know, your, your brain really doesn't differentiate between being afraid in a, in a life-threatening sense or having your livelihood or your family life or any other aspect of your life threatened. Uh, threat is threat. And so uh, at that point, I started working to broaden it out, and I've talked to hundreds of audiences, uh, very diverse from, you know, um, uh, ordinary individuals who are interested in leadership to, you know, army rangers and others who are interested really in the dangerous aspects of it. Thank you very much for explaining that. You know, I want to, um, I want to give you a chance to share a little bit more about you because I, I think that your own path is so interesting and uh, how you've come to really be, you know, both a student and a teacher of leadership, I think would be of interest to our listeners. So I've given a few headlines, but we'd, let's just pause for a moment and I want to invite you to tell us a little bit more about who you are. Oh, well, thank you for that. I, you know, I started... Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a town of 1,800 people in southern Illinois, and I went off to uh, college at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. And when I graduated, I really wanted to go to graduate school in psychology, uh, but I had an obligation to the Army because I'd been in ROTC. So the Army let me go. Uh, I finished my Ph.D., and then I went on active duty uh, as a lieutenant uh, with a Ph.D., which is kind of a, of a rare animal in the Army, but, but I did. Uh, and I really fell in love with both leading organizations in the Army and uh, thinking about leadership as I watched it, using my Ph.D. in social psychology as a lens. So my whole 30-year career in the Army was just moving back and forth between 
you know, running organizations in the Army, being a practitioner of leadership, and then trying to study it and, and writing about it from the Center for Army Leadership or from the Human Resources Directorate in the Pentagon. Um, and, and so it was just the perfect way to develop a deep appreciation of leadership. And then at about the, about the 18 year point in my career, I went to West Point to take over the Department of Behavioral Sciences and Leadership. Mm-hmm. And that was really a, a complete integration of all aspects of my, of, of my intellectual background, my professional background, uh, and interestingly enough, my avocational background. I'd always been a, a sport parachutist and a skydiver. I started at Vanderbilt in the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, at West Point, I was able to be the senior instructor for the West Point parachute team. So this also took me into this, into this deeper understanding of leading people in dangerous contexts and how that might be unique. Yeah, it is very interesting. That explains to me the cover of your book jacket as well. <laughs> um, well, that's, you know, that's, I, I, I love this path that you're describing, your interest in it, your practice of, of leadership, and then the, uh, the opportunity to teach it really, really brings an integration of ideas. Um, and it seems to me that the world has asked you to take what you know beyond a military or a, an extremist situation. So that's, that's also really helpful, I think, for people to, to understand. I, I myself, like you, love to read about and learn about leadership. And as I have, um, as I have read what you've written, it, there were some things about your perspective that were new to me. So I, I thank you for that. And I want to explore those a bit today. I know we're going to take a break in a few minutes, but I wonder if you could um, just say a little bit more um, about what's 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 most important about this to you? What is what is working on understanding leadership and what does that really mean to you? Well, I I I look at the audiences I have, whether it's an executive education audience or a group of students or thinking back to West Point. And when I'm teaching them something about leadership, I I'm not really focused on them. I'm more focused on the the tens of thousands, in some cases millions of people that are going to be subsequently led by them. So for me, teaching leadership and, and working with people like the students here at the Yale School of Management is about the downrange impact of having better leadership in business, in nonprofits, in government. Uh, and that's how I'm fulfilled. That's what that's what really excites me about writing about leadership and teaching leadership. Uh, not at the direct teaching level where I have one student or a hundred students, but the but the later impact of that better leadership on business and society. Yes, you know that's interesting. That that for me brings me to thinking about as a leadership coach, working with people one on one or in teams, and really always holding the um, the audience of their leadership in in my mind. You know, thinking about that downstream impact, if you will, of of their leadership. And you know, we sometimes ask the question, you know, what's it like to be with you? What's it like to be led by you? And it, it can be a for people actually. 
I wonder, you know, as you as you're describing this, um, you're clearly passionate about the subject. Um, what what's get, what's most exciting for you? You know, like as you're as you're carrying forward in your career, what would you say is kind of the the root of your passion for this topic? Well, you know, while while here at Yale, uh, I've worked, worked very hard to make sure that. All of our training and leadership and education and leadership is uh, culturally uh, fair and, and applicable. And when I have someone come up to me who, uh, because of their background, thought that leadership was never really in the cards for them, whether it was because they were uh, not privileged or perhaps they were uh, not a man in some cases, uh, but, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is that their culture uh, communicated to them that they would never be a leader. And when they come here and they begin working with with my, me and with my coaches, uh, and the light comes on and they say, you know, I, I can be a leader. I mean, I could run my own company, couldn't I? Uh, that really excites me. Uh, I've been privileged to work with a lot of uh, developing leaders who are quite talented but I think nothing motivates me uh, personally more than someone who thought they, they maybe just, uh, you know, didn't have it in them, and then they realize that they can do this. Well, that's a, a wonderful answer, and I think really just, you know, brings, the, the, brings us to the heart of what this work is about for you. We're going to take a short break right now. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm your host, Kate Ebner. My guest today, General Tom Kolditz, teaches leadership at Yale University. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly-based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy, with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you're listening to visionary leader extraordinary life with host kate ebner we'd love to hear from you pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 
If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hello and welcome back. Today, we're learning about what it means to lead in extremely high-stakes situations with Professor Thomas Kolditz of the Yale School of Management. Thomas previously served at the Pentagon, analyzing leadership development and human resources policy, and he's also the founding director of the West Point Leadership Center. Before the break, um, Tom, you gave us a great sense of who you are and what you care about. Let's move now to what you know about, and I want to begin by having you outline for us uh, what you see as the four requisites for leadership in extremis, as you put it? Well, there are a number of of characterizations or, or aspects of leading in dangerous places. The first is competence. Uh, in order to build trust, which is really the coin of the realm, uh, a leader has to be competent. And at the same time, they have to demonstrate some kind of commitment or caring for the people that they're leading. Um, and this this principle of pairing perceived competence with with a concern or caring towards people um, works very very well in non dangerous situations as well. Um, so that's that's really the first thing. Um, we also uncovered in the research that it's very important for leaders to demonstrate that they too share risk. And in a military context, that means they sort they lead from the front, or or in a uh, extreme sport context where you've got a climbing guide or a skydiving instructor who who are active participants in the sport uh, as well. But in business, it means uh, showing that you have deep commitment to the organization and the people. Uh, in it, you don't have to do the same job as everyone else, and you don't have to make the same uh, salary, but you do have to have skin in the game. Um, the third thing that we found is that in crisis, um, people who are leading really need to lower their um, their social distance from the people who they lead. Often in more ordinary circumstances, we separate ourselves a little bit. But when there's a crisis, when things are going wrong, people need to, to really view their leaders as one-on-one with them. In fact, there was just a very interesting uh, article or, or piece on, in, at NPR about funerals. And it quoted Rudy Giuliani as saying, um, weddings are optional, but funerals are mandatory. Uh, and I thought that was a great encapsulation of much that we wrote in the book about leading through tragedy uh, and and leaders reducing their social distance. Mm-hmm. And then I think also leaders have to look at the level of excitement and motivation of the people who they are leading. One of the big mistakes that leaders make is that they mismatch m- the, the motivation that they're trying to bring out in individuals with the motivation that these individuals already possess. So, for example, if someone is in a crisis, in a difficult situation, whether it's a, a dangerous matter or whether it's just a, a crisis in business, you know, people are worried about the future. Um, if, if the leader comes in with people who are already excited or upset 
and adds to that by being angry or by being uh, bombastic or animated, uh, they're making it worse. Uh, in those circumstances, leaders really need some, or, or people really need a leader who will calm them down. So these are some of the things that, that framed for us how uh, leadership in, in, in extremis is, is unique. But the, but the interesting thing is that all of these characteristics of leadership in dangerous contexts work very well in non-dangerous settings. But the opposite is not true. In, in times when there is no crisis, when everyone's making money, where no one's worried, you know, we'll put up with really bad leadership. Uh, mm-hmm. but, it, but as mm-hmm. soon as there's a crisis, or as soon as there's a major problem, then leaders are faced with the trust that they've been building over time. And, um, and sometimes the worm turns at that point. Sometimes it does. You know, competence is the building block of extremist leadership, and trust is the house. Tell us more about what that means. Well, one of the characteristics of leading in either dangerous contexts or in a modern business setting is that there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, you have to deal with ambiguity. You have to deal with volatility, whether it's volatility in currencies or or volatility on the battlefield. And so you you don't have the opportunity to rationally convince people of many of the decisions that you're going to make. And what that means is they have to trust you. Uh, so trust is just the coin of the realm. I mean, it's just so important uh, it, when, when leaders make decisions that, that people trust them. But uh, often people forget that the real basis of trust is competence. You know, you know I've, I've been at, at literally hundreds of uh, industry off-sites and, and uh, planning sessions and leader development events where, where the, the client wanted to build trust. And so they concentrated on all kinds of social things. They wanted to play golf. They wanted to have wine and cheese in the evening and, and do these little, you know, introduction games where they got to know one another better. And that, that does build some trust in contexts where everything is going well. But what they often forget is that when the stakes go way high, where there's additional risk and lots of ambiguity and people are upset and people are worried, that it's not that social capital that they built that's really going to build trust and keep people loyal. It's their competence that's going to do that. And so I always try to encourage people to let, let the people who work for them, see their decision-making, you know, bring them into meetings and, and make decisions in front of them and let them learn over time, um, you know, how competent they really are as leaders, because that's really much more important in the long haul than whether or not you played golf with them or shared a glass of wine. Yes, that's a very, very good point. And I too have participated in plenty of offsites with the the glass of wine or the introductory game or those kinds of things. And 
and and uh, it's really resonating with me how true it is <laughs> that when when the pressure's on when things are not so comfortable something else really happens you know and how can you can you know how does that moment of um you know sharing stories translate into uh, working effectively un- together under pressure um you know you said in your that um that in extremist situations are often perfect incubators for transformational leadership. And you were writing in that section, really, you were writing about the fact that um, we think of visionary leadership as a top-down kind of thing. The leader has the vision and everybody hears it and then goes in that direction. But you were really pointing out another possibility. Um, So how are, in extremist settings, perfect incubators for transformational leadership? Well, you know, often... um the sort of forward-looking, hopeful, uh, transformational leadership is, is all you've got. Uh, the ambiguity doesn't allow you to make a perfect, uh, rational argument or, or to, to influence people with just a lot of, of analysis. And um, emotional appeals uh, don't work very well either. But what the research shows, the research that we've done and and others, is that when a leader can describe the way ahead to people in an optimistic and positive way and unite people on this way ahead, that it's very powerful and it will will maintain the trust that's already in place and people are willing willing to accept that kind of leadership. And those words are carefully chosen. People have to accept the kind of leadership that's being offered to them. And, you know, to, to be transformational, to be future-focused uh, is really important. You know, one of my favorite leadership quotes uh, happens to come from an, an extremist leader in history, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. And Napoleon said, leaders are dealers in hope. Hmm. And <laughs> it means a lot in battle, of course, and, and there are many stories of, of military leaders telling their soldiers, okay, I'll see you on the objective, you know, making it a foregone conclusion that they were going to be successful and they were, they were all going to live and they were going to be there on the objective. Um, and there are corollaries to that in business where the kind of leadership that people need has to be confident and forward-looking, and you, you simply can't what-if everything. And so I think that's, that's one of the lessons that we can take from people who lead in dangerous and difficult circumstances all the time. That what people are really looking for is a forward-looking leader with some confidence and optimism and the competence to manifest the dream. Mm. That's so well said and so succinct. And I, I like hearing that as well because I often am saying to people, you know, being visionary, being forward-looking, this is not, you know, pie in the sky. This is not daydreaming, right? This is a very practical matter. And you've just given us a great example of how practical it is to be visionary, to be forward-looking, and just, um, particularly in, in life and death situations. Um, we're coming up on a break again pretty soon, um, but I, I want to um, give you a chance before we take that break to um, 
maybe just tell us very briefly a sort of a, a one-minute story of in extremist leadership that you think really gives an example of of uh, this type of leadership in a, in in the real situation. Well, I'll, I'll I'll tell you a quick story about a Marine Corps corporal, uh, and I interviewed this corporal's men in a place called Hilla in Iraq, and they were talking about why they respected him so much. And they related that, that because of the rush to Baghdad, that they went for several days without resupply. And in order to ration the food, they were dividing up one um, military MRE, meal ready to eat, you know, the prepackaged meals, mm-hmm. uh, among all nine of them. And the corporal who was in charge uh, did the dividing, and he would give the bread to one soldier, and he would give the main meal to two soldiers, and he would give the the uh, crackers and peanut butter to two soldiers. And at the end, every time he did that, he would take the coffee creamer for himself, and that was it. And he did this for more than three days. And their level of respect for that leader, who could have easily said, well, you know what, I, I have to be able to think, and I have, you know, I have more responsibilities, so I'm going to take this food. Uh, you know, his willingness to sacrifice for his people um, was amazing. And in my book, I refer to him as Corporal Creamer. Um, <laughs> Because, uh, you know, because we wanted to maintain his anonymity. But I, I thought it was a remarkable story of sacrifice and the loyalty of those Marines to that young corporal was absolute. Thank you. That's that's a great example and um, a really, really thought-provoking example, actually, uh, for, for leaders perhaps out of that kind of a setting, but who might want to think about how they're... How they're um, taking their place at the table. So we're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm your host, Kate Ebner. My guest today, General Thomas Kolditz of Yale University today. We'll be right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Thank you so much for joining me today to listen to today's episode of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. If you'd like to stay in the loop about our upcoming guests, be sure to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter by visiting nebocompany.com. We also write a weekly article that gives a debrief on the show we've just had. So if you want to read our article about this show or maybe follow along with our guests, um, again, go to nebocompany.com, sign up for the newsletter, and I think you'll really enjoy getting Visionary Leader every week. Today, I'm here with Tom Kolditz, who's a professor at the Yale School of Management. He's also the author of an excellent book on leadership called In Extremist Leadership, Leading as if Your Life Depended on It. Um, Tom, before the break, you gave us a great story about um, about this type of leadership in action. I'm hoping that you'll have you tell us more stories as the time goes on here in our hour. Um, I want to I want to give our listeners uh, maybe a few more nuggets from the lessons offered by in extremist leadership, and I want to take them one at a time. So I know that there are, you know. Uh, lessons that you have pulled from researching this topic. Um, why don't we just pick a few of them and maybe you could just talk a little bit about, yeah, I think you've actually touched on some already, but, but give us a couple of nuggets that we can understand about what it takes to lead in extreme situations and how that, you know, you keep making a, a connection to how we can use that in our, in our lives, but let's, let's go for the extreme situations. What have you learned? Well, one of the things we've learned is that in order for people to keep calm and to be effective in an extreme circumstance, they really have to learn to focus outward on the environment. Uh, and and you see this all the time in, in uh, extreme sport people who have this focus and intensity and, you know, crazy things can be going on around them. And yet they're calm because they're focused on the task. And for everyday people, uh, most of us have experienced this at some point. And one of the examples I like to give is people's reaction in a car accident. Uh, when, when a car accident occurs, there's a lot of confusion. And, and we really focus outside ourselves and try to help the people who are involved and, and do what we have to do. But then afterward, when we have the time to just sit on the side of the road, uh, that's when we become more emotional and, and maybe start shaking or, or mm-hmm. you know, otherwise be emotional. And, and the reason for this is that when we are task-focused, we're activating our prefrontal cortex in our brain. We're, we're literally um, stimulating the front part of our brain. In order to feel emotions like fear or anger uh, or the need to flee, we have to activate a different part of our brain, the amygdala. 
And it's very difficult to do those two things simultaneously, be task-focused, but also be fearful. So, so the more that people learn to focus outward, and it can be done with athletics or it can be done uh, through uh, mindfulness, yoga, um, but the more we're, we become skilled at that, the better ready we are to approach life's crises, uh, whether, whether it's a professional crisis or a crisis in our personal lives. Uh, and just the knowledge that when we're feeling emotional, that it's not because we're, we're, we need to control our emotions. Uh, instead, it's because we need to focus. Uh, and it's it's really easier to tell yourself, okay, I need to focus now. I'm I'm obviously not uh, mm-hmm. than it is to just sort of try to handle your emotions because that actually focuses you inward, making it more difficult. So this is a really no, it, big 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 insight here. Yeah, you know this thing that's that I that, that's coming to my mind actually very clearly is a time when I was actually directing residential life at Middlebury College when there was a terrible tragedy and four students were killed and uh, in a car accident and it was my job to respond and to go to the actually to go to identify bodies to meet the families to handle um, many aspects of the of the tragedy and and I remember so clearly that realization that I was so emotional that it was really in the way. And I had the thought, this is, this is my responsibility, but this is not my, tra- this is not my crisis. You know, I have to stay on the task, stay focused on the, the, what, what's needed here instead of on how I'm feeling, which is, it was very significant at that time. It was a very sad situation, but it was a very distinct moment of clarity for me about how to manage forward um, in that moment. And is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. The ability to focus on the task and to stay out of that emotional state is, is really important uh, at, at, to everyone, you know, not just firefighters or, or extreme sport coaches. And the other thing that that does is because of the intense outward focus, this intense focus on the environment, it really puts us in a learning posture. And the same for the people who uh, work for us or with us. So when a, when a crisis occurs or when there's a major problem, the ability to keep people focused uh, really puts the organization on a learning footing. Well, tell us, what do you mean? Like, so if they weren't focused and they went let's just say, inward, you know, does that preempt them from learning? Well, I I think it does because that's where the emotionality comes from. And there's plenty of research that suggests when people are highly emotional that they have a tremendous difficulty solving problems and, and, you know, seeing the world for what it is, accurately assessing uh, what's go- what's going on? Uh, and this was driven home to me uh, about three years ago. I was approached by a woman who asked if I would take her son, her 18-year-old son, on a tandem jump. And the complexity was that this young man had autism, and he also had some physical problems. And I, I took him, but I also uh, beforehand talked to a psychologist about how this young man might or might not learn. 
and it became clear that one of our one of our challenges was to get him to focus. So when it came time to train him, uh, I told him, um, you know, Matt, uh, we're about to make a parachute jump, and it's going to be a real parachute jump, and uh, it's not an amusement park ride. And if you don't listen to what I tell you and, and follow my instructions, we're both going to die a horrible death right in front of your mother. And that wasn't true. I knew I could get him out of the airplane safely, but but I I wanted him to understand the gravity of of what we were doing, and uh, he did. And he did fabulous on this parachute jump. He subsequently scuba dived. Uh, he has a job, and and it taught me that people who have difficulty learning in some contexts can really be focused and motivated to learn in other contexts if there's a leader that's willing to provide that focus. Uh, And I'll never forget it. It was featured in the American Psychological Association's Monitor magazine in an article about how to to use uh, athletics and other kinds of sports as uh, a way to teach uh, people with autism. But but for me, it just taught me the value of focus. That's a wonderful example, and I think this, I like the language you used, a leader who provides focus, and that gives me something to think about. Um, what else? I know, you, I know you had so many great lessons here. Um, give us another one. Well, I think that uh, one, one of the lessons has to do with the reduction of social distance, uh, of, mm-hmm. of really being there for people when uh, the chips are down. Uh, leaders usually have the ability to put themselves in a position that is relatively advantaged. Um, but when, when we've got staff that's working around the clock in order to solve a business problem, uh, it's powerful to see the boss walk into the shop at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, it's powerful to know that, uh, you know, that the leader is, uh, feeling what they're feeling. I mean, in the military, uh, we we go to great lengths to make sure that leaders don't take any advantages, that we wear the same clothing, we eat the same food, we sleep in the same kinds of, of uh, circumstances. Uh, and that's not, that's certainly not true uh, in business uh, and particularly in, in peacetime or when things are, things are going well. But when things are going badly, or when there's a, you know when there's a crisis, there's there's sort of an expectation that develops among people that they'd really like their leaders to be closer to them, that they'd really like to recognize that their leaders are um, in touch with what's going on in the organization, and the only real way for the leader to do that is is for them to be there. And so we've had great examples, uh, you know, in the civilian context during Hurricane Sandy, uh, you saw President Obama, you saw the the mayor of New York City, you saw the governor of New Jersey, and they were all walking the beaches. They were all, you know, right in the middle of it. And they could have easily justified being in some command center somewhere where there's a lot more information, uh, a lot more communications ability. 
Uh, but they didn't. They made sure that they had a physical presence there. And it's important for leaders to think about where their presence is going to matter. Um, you know, the Germans have a wonderful concept called the Schwerpunkt, and it means decisive point. And for any, at any given point for a leader, uh, there is a place in the organization where if things don't go right there, that it'll cause major complications later on. And that's where a leader has to focus their effort and their personal influence, whether it's physically, whether it's uh, virtually, or whether it's having a trusted uh, subordinate or second there who can really represent the leader's intent and interests. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely critical in military kinds of operations, but it works really, really well in business also. Thank you so much. This is really uh, well put and a very memorable uh, point that you've just made, and I think one that we all can really work with. Um, we're going to take our final break right now, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, um, we want to hear what you're doing at Yale University. So we will be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hello and welcome back to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This morning we've been learning about in extremist leadership and how you can apply it to your leadership style. I've been talking with my guest, Professor Thomas Koldlitz of the Yale School of Management. Um, he has uh, things there at Yale and I wanted to give uh, you a chance to tell us a bit more about what you're up to there and whether it's about the same um, body of work that you've been t- we've been talking about in this hour. So let me just ask you to tell us, what's, what, what is your role at Yale? 
Well, what I've come to Yale to do is to build a leader development architecture into the school of management. And it really is an, uh, uh, an ambitious and deliberate and committed goal for the Yale School of Management to graduate leaders for business and society, uh, not just analysts or, um, you know, people who have business skills, but they, but they really do want to graduate leaders. And so when I came here, I, I sized the place up a little bit, and I realized that the, really the most uh, important asset that the School of Management has are its students. They're tremendously talented, uh, capable individuals. Uh, at the same time, uh, I know from uh, studying leadership and, and doing leader development that most of leadership is not learned in a classroom. You know, the research estimates are about 70% are learned through experiential kinds of activities. And about 10% comes from the classroom. And then an additional 20% is from uh, coaching, mentoring, reflection, and feedback. So it was clear that I had to figure out how to do that here uh, rather than just focusing on the 10% of classroom. So we use classes here really to prepare students to embark on a self-directed uh, practicum, leadership practicum. Uh, so in the first year, they take some courses and they learn a little bit of, of classroom knowledge about leadership, and then they create a plan for their second year. And that plan covers leadership as they have defined it and focuses on developmental goals that they have for themselves. So it's very bespoke. It's culturally sensitive because no matter where you're from or where you're going to go lead, you can design this plan to support you. Uh, and then their second year, they execute the plan, but they do so with support from both a peer coach and a professional coach. So every second year student has their own professional coach and they work hard to achieve the goals that they laid out for themselves. So it's really uh, the, the philosophy behind the program is to capitalize on the quality of students that we have at Yale. They have enormous creativity and capability. And all I've tried to do really is to focus them. Uh, to focus their efforts on their own development. And it also teaches them the skills they need to do the same for the people who work for them in the future. So I'm not only having them develop themselves, but I'm teaching them how to develop other people at the same time. And, and it really sounds like this two-year time period gives them a chance to really reflect and learn and, and sort of do the... Um, do the thinking, and then that second year to really practice and and, and embody the, the leadership context that they the, the idea of leadership that they believe is important for them to practice. And I'm curious, you know, is can you can you tell us a little bit about the kinds of things students learn from going through this program? Well, you know, it it depends on the student. Some of them learn very nuts and bolts skills, like you know how to run a meeting. <laughs> And, you know, all of us have That's been in meetings that we, yeah, <laughs> that we wish had never been called. Um, but, uh, but so some people are focused on skills in that way. Some people have 
more cerebral, uh, even emotional uh, goals. So some people have goals to be uh, less emotional when they receive negative feedback uh, and to be able to keep people from becoming emotional when they give them uh, feedback. And we've got a, a strong emphasis on feedback in the school. Uh, students actually complete an assignment where they give or receive feedback every day for six weeks. Uh, so they're, they're, they come out of the school really well-versed in, in those uh, sorts of skills. But, you know, part of our goal for the program is not uh, merely teaching skills. We really are looking for a shift in the student's identity so that if they didn't conceive of themselves as a leader when they came to the school of management, that by the time they leave, they understand that they have talent and ability as a leader and that, and that a leader is what they are. It becomes a part of their identity. And once we've accomplished that, We've created people who will go forth and they'll onboard the right kinds of skills because they know they need it because they're a leader. Uh, and, and that's really what we're looking yeah. for is that enduring quality in people that will keep driving their development well into the middle of their careers. Well, I, I think that's, I think it's a, a fantastic design for learning. And I know that, you know, one thing that I run into in the work that I do is sometimes people have a negative view of leadership, actually. They don't want to be a leader or they don't want to be seen as the leader because of some story that they have about what it means to be powerful, what it means to be above other people, what it means to be in, in command, you know, and then others we see who have um, just an affinity or even a desire to be uh, a leader in sort of a, the hierarchical sense. And so the, the this kind of a, a program, like a, an experience where people can go much more deeply into an understanding of leadership and then really think about what it means to them, regardless of who they are, or what position they hold, uh, really about choosing to see themselves as a leader and have that be a part of the identity that they take with them as they complete the program. Does that sound like what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. And many of our students view their future as a leader, not as being in some hierarchically defined position, but being on a team and just being able to exert influence in that team in a given direction so that they their ideas are heard and so that they can uh, move a team of peers in a, in a given direction. And so those students create their own practicum. You know, they, they get into organizations in that second year that allow them uh, to sharpen those skills. We're really not prescriptive at all about what leadership uh, is to our students. You know, in, in, uh, in business, for example, most organizations will define leadership in a certain way that's complementary to their business. And then they will shape all the individuals in that organization towards that leader ideal. Uh, here at Yale, I think of my students as starbursting. You know, we have about 300 students in a given class, and so I think of them starbursting in 300 different directions. 
in different <laughs> countries, in different types of organizations, whether it's government or business, whether it's the banking industry or nonprofits. And so I have to have a program that will support all of that movement in all those different directions. So it's a little different than, than uh, a business approach. But interestingly, yeah. um, I just returned from a, from a conference of industrial organizational psychologists, and many businesses are picking up this similar approach where they're doing tailored leader development plans for their people and then supporting them with, with coaching uh, as they execute them. Nice too and i think i think this really is um maybe an enlightened trend as we think about leadership you know i'm sad to say we're at the end of our hour and i i I would love to have an even longer conversation but what i want to say to those of you listening is that you go and pick up a copy of uh tom colditz's book i think you will enjoy it i think you'll learn from it um and tom if we would like to to stay with you or learn more about you how can we where can we go maybe online to find out more well, uh, certainly you could uh, you could contact me directly um, at uh, thomas.colditz at yale.edu. I'm on Twitter at, at thomascolditz. Uh, or you could go to inextremisleadership.com and see some of the some of the things that I have on the web. Well, uh, terrific, and I hope that people will do that. We'll write a great little article about you as well in our newsletter. And I want to just close by saying thank you so much for joining me for this show. It's really been fun. Well, you're very welcome, Kate. Thanks for what you're doing. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life.